0: welcome to the king's cast dynamic teaching recorded live at king's church in cambridge england we hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today and now here's the broadcast good morning church once more and uh you know once again it is Excellent to be in the presence of God. Excellent to rejoice, right? We have cause to rejoice this morning. We have cause to rejoice every day. But today, we want to recognize the reason why we have joy. We want to recognize Jesus Christ himself. Amen? There is a bit of reading going on today. Um, I think, listen, is on my personal journey of faith. One of the things that I've never really understood, which was a priority for me when I was a child, was between Christmas and Easter, which one will I actually try to be on my best behavior, all right? That's the one that I was really struggling with. I'm like, okay, if I want to actually get something for Christmas, mom and dad, I need to show up that I worked well the term before, and then I will show my results as a guarantee to get Christmas present, although they will not look at it anyway. For Easter, I was struggling with that. I'm like, well, what do I need to get um, chocolate egg? That's the way the world is defining Easter: chocolate eggs. All right, Tesco is telling you why you need to have those chocolate eggs. I was reading um, on LBC, is um, leading Britain's conversation. Is one of the uh, channels that I was listening to, and they were having um, a kind of uh, open talk around Christmas and what does Christ, uh, around Easter? Apologies, and what does Easter mean for this nation? at this point, almost on the back of a census that shows that there are less than 50% in this nation that are recognized or identified with Christianity. And so they came, and um, it was one of the, the, the reads that I was thinking, actually, whether we like it or not, we've got to be offended by it. We've got to be offended by the way there is an agenda to always push the fundamentals of our faith away. To always show that like, Christianity doesn't matter. And we talk about a country having a Christian heritage and it stays there as an heritage, where what we do know is life giving, life changing, is, is hope bringing, is reassuringly strong. Okay? And so you could look at the narrative and they say, yeah, for those who still believe, that's for them, good for them. Uh, we don't have to believe, of course. But these people did realize that there was something that is really binary, is between life and death. There is no other way. It's either life or death. There is no in-between. in In us doesn't exist when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ. And as we are there, yes, we have joy. We should have joy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And I just want to hopefully go and articulate a couple of things around the message of the resurrection today. You've heard that before, you've heard that preach, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you certainly know the gospel and what he says around the works of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, but certainly about the, the empty tomb, you have known that. But I want you, please, to open your ears, and I've got to minister to you differently this morning, okay? I've got to minister to you to show you something that maybe you haven't picked up before. So why don't we pray? So Father, we thank you, give you praise and thanks O Lord God, Lord, it is an honor to be in your presence. It is an honor for realizing what you have done for us. That we can come before you knowing that we have been justified. Knowing that in you we have a Savior who lives. Knowing that we have, oh Lord God, the reassurance that what you have spoken will certainly come to pass. Lord, we pray. Settle our minds. Open our hearts. Speak, Lord, in a way that we can understand. Open our ears. Open our understanding, and let us see, Lord, what you have for us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a bit of reading, as I said, and so if I want to open up the scripture, why don't we open our Bible to the book of John? I want us to read chapter 20 and 21. There will be a lot of reading, but I want you to stay with me. It is quite important that you stay with me. I read from NKJV. I know Manu was ultimately earlier taking from the book of Matthew uh, this morning. Luke look, look 24, actually, sorry. Luke 24, which is I was debating between these two scriptures. But I think this one, God is showing something there. So I will take from, verse, from chapter 20, verse 1, uh, from John. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that some stone, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She then ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and, we, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. They didn't walk. They didn't have a leisurely walk. They both ran together. Listen, they are hearing something that is traumatizing. They are hearing something which they haven't got a clue about what on earth has happened. They know that Jesus died. They know that the Romans will keep it to make sure that everything was in place. They knew where they had laid him. But all of a sudden, they wake up in the morning and one of the ladies come and say, actually, he's not there. You come and we open, open, open the radio in the morning, and the first news is really bad, traumatic. Your heart starts beating, you start thinking in your head, what is happening? And for them, remember, Jesus was their world. Jesus has taken time with them for three years to teach them. They've seen signs, wonders, miracles. They've seen the life-giving experiences of Jesus. They've seen people recover from illnesses. They've seen people who were blind who started seeing. They actually seen how Jesus by a word just stealed the the wave and the wind. They've seen many things Jesus did. They have seen Lazarus resurrected. Those guys have seen Jesus do work. They have trusted him. If you look indeed at John, the book of John, again, the same gospel, the Bible tells us that one of the first miracles that Jesus did was the, the transforming of the the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. But if you look at that, there is a line in there that says something specific. He did it, and when they saw it, they all believed. The disciples needed to believe from the get-go, from the time they were chosen by Jesus Christ, that he was the one. What else but to show signs and wonders, so that they will believe. It's all about believing. Easter, the first message is about believing. Where is our belief? What do we believe in? Why do we believe what we believe? And they run. Because they can't do otherwise. There is something they need to see for themselves. Whether what Mary Magdalene is saying is true. They can't just sit there and say, oh well. They could have actually said, we don't believe you. But they knew the seriousness of the lady who is telling them. That I'm not saying anything. They have been with them. They have been doing ministry with Mary Magdalene. She was in the background always. And if she comes and says something, they've got to believe it on the face value. But then they ran. They ran, they wanted to see for themselves. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Came to the tomb first, verse five, and he stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes. They were lying there, yet he did not go in. At that point, let me suggest to you that there is a reason why he did not go in. You know, when you've heard something, and you know that seeing is believing, for many of us, there is an element that you do not want to open or to push to see what you have heard is happening. Because it will then translate into your heart. It will break you. And they see from afar, and they are like, shall I go? Shall I?" They will probably have that tension within themselves. What are my eyes going to tell me that I cannot deny And he stays there. However, Simon Peter came and following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. This is not a magic trick. There was nobody, but they say that the handkerchief was folded Then the other disciple finally came into the tomb. He first went in and he saw and he believed. Listen, he saw and he believed. What as Christians are we seeing today? What as Christians are we believing? Jesus told the disciple, blessed are those who do not see but yet believe. Which one is it that we want to see? Because sometimes we see only what we want to see. Verse 9, as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away. They went to their own homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She too had to look into the tomb. She saw the two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Please remark that. Take that. Woman, why are you weeping? Replace the word woman and replace it by your name. Why are you weeping? Why is it that you are despaired? Why is it that you are so shocked? Why is it that you are hopeless? What is it that you see that is making you cry today? Why actually are you crying? There are two angelic beings there now and then. And they are questioning, why are you coming to weep at the tomb? That's the question. So she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Let me say to you, the tears in her eyes would probably have been one of the reasons she did not recognize Jesus. Or it could have been that Jesus did not want to reveal himself as Jesus at that point. Sometimes we try, we cry We push for things, we get despair, we get despondent, we get hardened, and we forget to see that Jesus is still already in that situation. Jesus is already, always near us. We call him Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We know that he's faithful, we know that he never abandons us. So it doesn't really matter as such if we weep, because he's still there. He's still actually very near. And he's there to comfort, he's there to strengthen, he's there to give hope, and he's there to reassure. So whatever weeping we are doing, there is an element of remembering that in the midst of those tears, we talked about Hannah last time, in the midst of those tears, God is still with us because God is there who will give us the handkerchief to wipe away our tears. He's the one who has said that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. He's the one who understands very much the situation and the state of our hearts, the emotional struggles we are going through. And he certainly knows that he, with the resurrection and the life, he knew that he told his disciple before that he will go through such things. So his hope that he's prepared them enough for the things that were to come, but yet they could not see at the point where those things happen. How much prepared are we? Because in these days and age, we are talking about persecution. In this day and age, we are talking about the gospel that may not even be preached in the, in the country anymore. In this day and age, we are talking about things that are coming against those who even want to pray silently in the land. We know that. There is legislation being made in this country as we speak against us praying silently. Soon they will give us chips to actually put on us so that they know when we pray. It is interesting that Jesus had prepared the disciples for the things to come. At the time he came, they would not understand. They would not remember. And so it is important to know that today, even as we celebrate and even as we have joy, even as we know what the Master did, it is important to always look unto him. Always look unto what he said. Because what he said should be, he said that the word of God should be sealed in our hearts. That the Holy Spirit can then bring into remembrance those things that he does need to at the time that is the most needed. So then for we need to be close to God. She turns, she says, Jesus. What is the third word of Jesus? He says, Woman, why are you weeping? He's echoing the question from the angel himself. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Effectively, she's sort of giving a half rebuke. Really, you you don't know why I'm weeping, but you you should know the tomb where it is the tomb of Jesus. You should know why I'm here. And maybe she didn't actually look up. You know, you can look at somebody without looking up. You can do that. And maybe she didn't look up. Or maybe, as I said, Jesus still did not want her to recognize him. But the challenge is there and she say, the Bible say, the gardener. She thought he might be the gardener. Jesus then said to her, Mary. (laughs) He said, Mary. Jesus calls us by name. Jesus always has a relationship that is individual, a relationship that is deeper than anything else. That's the relationship he wants with you and I. So it is to be attributed Personally. We can be there as a church, but every one of us ought to develop their relationship with Christ. Every one of us ought. The Bible says that Jesus, God has given to each and every one of us a measure of faith. But it's for us to nurture that. It's for us to add on to that faith. It is for us to do the things that we do need to do to make sure that the relationship with Jesus Christ is strong. Nobody will teach you how to relate with your spouse. Nobody will teach you how to relate with your children or your grandchildren. Nobody will teach you how to relate with your neighbor when you want good neighboring. If you decide to ignore the neighbor for the whole year, that's your call. But that's not what God calls us to be. And therefore, why is it that we have to be taught how to nurture that relationship with the one who has died for us? Some of us are sitting here today and we say, yes, we are rejoicing. Great. It's Easter Sunday and I need to show that I can jump a little bit more to show that I have the joy. We do not have to show we have the joy. We live with the joy in us. The joy itself is a fruit that will show, that will shine, that will show forth. We don't have to manufacture it. So when Ruth is telling you guys, I'm going to make you dance today, and we respond, that's good. Can we dance tomorrow? Are we going to dance in the office? Are we going to dance in face of our bills? But what kind of dancing have we then done this morning? Because even my brother was reminding me before that God says he's not mocked, he's not deceived. God is aware, he's mindful of each and every one of you. But the relationship is personal. The death on the cross is for mankind, but it's for us individually. That's the way we first have to look at it. It is a personal drama that Jesus died. It's a personal joy and hope that is risen. Is something that I'm delighted about. Emmanuel said that he was happy when he came. He was delighted. He was smiling as he was leading us into worship because he knew the Savior that says, Emmanuel is written in the book of life as he has accepted me. Emmanuel, I will be with him and lead him and favor him and fight his battle. But I've already done the most important thing I could ever have done for Emmanuel, which is dying for him. People have And I say that on Good Friday. People may have thought that it was only 30 pieces of silver. But it's the blood of Jesus Christ that needed to be shed so that the name of Emmanuel would be written in the book of life. It is your name that Jesus Christ died for. So that he could say, Father, please write his name on the book of life. And that is enough for me. To say we have joy, we should rejoice. Indeed, rejoice again. I say rejoice. We should rejoice because we have the God who has done it for us. We should rejoice because, in the middle of our weeping, is still very much near. Then he says to the Mary, she turned and said to him, which is said to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. What is Jesus doing there? He's saying that we have the same father. We have all the same DNA. We are of the same family. I've already purchased you with my blood. You are mine. You are the sheep of my pasture. I've written you on the palms of my hands. So I will not let you go. Jesus said to the father in praying, he said that, listen, all those that you have given me, I have none. So I'm not prepared to lose you. You are there with me. We are family. Well, unless the meaning of family means that we don't speak to each other, which the world may actually push that way again. But meaning of family is that like we are deeply in love with one another, concerned for one another, giving all out for one another. That's what family is. It doesn't mean that we always see eye to eye, but it means that we'll go out to make sure that the relationship works and the relationship is productive. We make sure that we pray for one another. We make sure that we support one another. We make sure that we stand for one another. We make sure that we are together facing the challenges, praying and believing God for breakthrough. That's what family do. So we always say this church is a family church. But that's what it means. It will take time always to forge the bonds. Those bones are nothing without Jesus. But Jesus is telling us, listen, right now I am on a mission. That mission is not finished yet. You see, we are talking about uh, the Christmas eggs, right? There is a wrapper around that. So if you take that Jesus, I think somebody, I think it's Marion who came and said, you know, if somebody invites you and everything. But if somebody wants to give you a gift, let's think that today you will get an Easter egg, okay? You will have to remove the the packaging, you will have to remove the wrapper to get access to the chocolate, assuming you want to eat it. Okay? The wrapper is what Jesus did on the cross. The chocolate itself is exactly the resurrection. Without that egg being wrapped together as a gift, we haven't got to receive what God has for us. And so you can actually say, I stay there, and I look at the cross, and I believe Jesus, what he did for me at the cross, and that's all good. You know, there are Christians who keep on thinking about the cross, always forgetting that they there is the resurrection. It's all good to be thinking at the cross and be with condemnation. I'm a sinner. Without thinking that God has gone to prepare a place for us. Without rejoicing in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. And the story has got to be linked. It's got to be linked. You cannot be sold one thing, the wrapper is sold to you and the chocolate you don't have. Had. It's impossible. God is telling you the best is yet to come. God is telling you, my son has died for you. You see, I will go there to prepare a place for you. But at the moment where I am, you cannot be also, but I will walk so that you can come. There is a purpose. So that chocolate, that thing that God has proposed for us, it has to be part of the full story of Easter. That resurrection is so critical, it's so key. Let's not just walk like if it is only under condemnation. And what I said before, there is therefore no condemnation. There is no longer condemnation. So why are you weeping? Why are we facing life like if there is no hope? Why are we living as if there is no God? God has loved you enough and he's died for you. Then Mary Magdalene then can come, and then she goes and tells the disciple what she's seen. She's seen the Lord. He spoke these things to her. The same day, verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, the fear of the Jews, the fear of the Jews, they were assembled for the fear of the Jews, sorry. Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Then they saw the Lord. They were glad. So Jesus comes and sees them struggling with fear. Crippled with fear. Anxious because of the threat of the Roman. They've killed Jesus. They will surely come after us. What is in it for us? Do you know that at that point, what fear will tell you is that as God said so, Did Jesus say that he will come back? Did Jesus say that he will rise, he will will be risen? Did Jesus say that he will be with you always, he will not leave you as orphans? Did he really say that? Because fear will tell you another story. Fear will always tell you another story, a narrative that you do not want to linger on. It will tell you really that you are not an overcomer, that Jesus hasn't overcome, that Jesus was fallacies. Fear will tell you things that you will look at and you say, I can't believe it. It will actually confuse you. Because what fear does, it cripples, it takes away. The Bible says that it is not fate. It brings doubt. It brings question marks. What does James tell us about doubt? Jesus said that if we believe, we will see even greater things. That's why he says, if we believe, we will see greater things. But fear will be there to say, no. No. Is gone. That's it. That's the end. There is no chance for you guys. Faith cannot actually be there because fear is actually blurring everything else. And Jesus comes and says, peace. He comes and says, peace. I want you guys to be in peace. Okay, fine. People will say it's a greeting. But he comes and says, I want peace in the middle of you guys. As I come, I'm the king of kings, but the prince of peace. I'm coming, and I'm coming, and I'm asking you for that peace. I'm commanding is the authority of the master, the giver of peace, that says, peace be with you. At this word, fear has to go. It has to go. There is no other way. Fear gives way to the master. I want to ask you today, church, irrespective of where we are and what we are celebrating today, I want you today to look at the elements in your life that are elements of fear. Because the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, the story of the resurrection, if it teaches us something fundamental, is that with God all things are possible. If it teaches us something, is that God has spoken and therefore we can say yes and amen, which means so it is. If he teaches us something, is that things that were foreordained would surely come to pass. What are the situations in our lives that bring fear, even as we try and celebrate for Jesus? Some of us, it might be illness, sickness, medical reports coming through. The kind of things we didn't want to see. Some of us is the fear of the future. We talk about those kind of things. But you know what? That's exactly what Satan wants us to look at. That's exactly where he wants our focus to be at. And you don't know what? When you go into prayer, when you approach the throne of grace, when you come into the presence of God to pray, you've got to put all these things away. He said, like, my burden is light. Give it to me. Think about the people of prayer, where you say my house will be a house of prayer, and every time we come and approach God, we come with fear. We will be our our pastor. God has known that you will lead the pastor. But some of us have had fear and could not serve anymore. Okay, right, the medical report. But we know that God resurrected Lazarus, so he can still heal. He's still the God who can still heal today. He's still the God who is able to heal. Just say a word. Lord, at your word, just say a word in my situation. And it changes it. So what is fear taking away from you? Finances? Let me ask you something. Have you been student before? Have you been going to school before without actually pocket money? What fed you? What fed Israel in the wilderness? Who has provided Elijah the food that he did not have and the water he did not have? Who has made multiplication happen for five thousand people and four thousand people out of scarcity? It's still the same Lord. It's still the same Lord who sits today and who is risen, Amen. It's still the same God who has called us to be His. What does Matthew six twenty five is telling us? Is it not telling us not to worry? For if you worry about these things, you can't change anything. You can change certainly your perspective. You can change whether you receive the blessings or not. But it tells us not to worry, about. Something or about anything? About anything. Do not let it take your heart. There's nothing that should take your heart by way of fear because it's reason. Because it's true. Because he has a purpose for your life. And because at the end of the day he has conquered it all. Amen? Amen. But let's see, come and say, Peace be with you. And then he repeats that in verse 21. He says to them again, Peace be with you. He says, As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. This is something that challenged me. Because Jesus did not come here for a pity party, you know. Before that, he's telling them to look at his side and he shows his hand. We often are very good on pity party. You know what, I I almost hit my toe. I'm near me, so things are not really working well for me. We want a bit of pity. But we want some sympathy from people around us. But you see, when you look at I will jump there to looking at the scripture at verse 27. Thomas, who we know is doubting, he tells specifically the doubter among them to sort of reach out, to put the finger, and to look at his hands, and to reach the hands here, and put it into my sight, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. So let's go back to the scripture above. When he says that I have been sent... But I'm also sending you. And that's where I think for me it makes it all very, very palatable. Christ is mindful of us, isn't it? The Bible says that he's mindful of us. He's mindful of our situation. And the next thing is, he will bless us. But one of the things that is true, he knows the disciples are distraught. He knows that they are fearful and he first of all come with peace. But the second thing is telling them, I have been sent. So basically I'm still on a mission. All right? I've accomplished my mission, but so I'm going to send you. He's saying, despite or in spite of your situation, despite the things that you face today, you are still part of my army. You are still part of the people I want to use. You are still part of the people that are going to make the whole difference after I've risen. I'm sending an helper so that he can help you for doing the things that pertain to my kingdom. God is saying, I'm mindful of what you're suffering about. But remember, actually I'm here. So basically there is no more suffering. There is no more sorrow. I'm here. So basically you were suffering because you thought I was killed. I was dead. But you are seeing me. So therefore let's not talk about the disillusion. Let's not talk about the fear. Let's focus on what is forward. And what I'm trying to do is to equip you with the helper. And to release you. And to send you. And to use you. For my glory. So he's coming and telling them in the midst, the first message is, I was sent. I've done what I needed to do. I want to send you. In other words, are you prepared, church, to respond? Are you prepared to respond beyond the jumping and the clapping of Easter Sunday? Are you prepared to be sent into a generation that does not want to hear anything about the Lord Jesus? Are you prepared to be sent and to die to your own non-realistic ideas to actually allow the will of God to be done through you and in you and for you, for your community, for your country, for your families. Are you prepared, church? Because that's what one of the fundamental messages of Easter is. Jesus did what he needed to do. And people say so. Well, after then, is about us, responding to him, aligning ourselves to his will, trusting him enough because of the track record that he's shown. The things that he foretold, the things he was done. If he's wanting to send us, then we should say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's the response that he's expecting. And so we carry on. Verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. If we hold there a little bit now, let's go back to some of the lessons that I believe are fundamental to today. We are not necessarily looking at the snapshot and the narrative of Easter. It has happened. But in terms of message, what does it mean for you that Jesus Christ is risen? What does it mean for you? I think that first of all, it means that Jesus Christ is true and alive. Jesus Christ is truly the son of God and truly he is alive. Why is it the most important for me? If Jesus Christ is not alive, my Christianity stands for nothing. If Jesus Christ is not alive, I have not understanding of why I'm here every Sunday. If Jesus Christ is not alive, there is nothing that I can speak to people about the Lord who died for me. Because it might just be a fairy tale. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ reemphasizes and strengthens the deity of our Lord. He is God. He's the son of God. That's the first thing. And that seals our faith. Those who come to him. Must believe that he is God. So you are here because you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And you are here and hopeful and excited. Because you trust that what he say will do. He will do. Because you've seen Let's look at actually the book of Matthew 16 sorry a little bit. Let's look at the book of Matthew 16 if you can open Matthew 16:21. You have seen what Jesus said before. Everything that he said got accomplished. Matthew 16: 21. I read. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He showed to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Listen. Jesus, way before he was killed, showed to his disciples the things that needed to take place. And then, the next and be raised the third day. Jesus has gone ahead. So basically, by the time he's resurrected and seeing the disciples fearful, he's actually bringing them back to what he showed to them in Matthew 16. He's showing to them that it was always the truth. What I say I will do, I will do. The way it will happen, I've been betrayed by the elders, I've been betrayed by the Jewish elders, the Pharisees, and I've been crucified and exactly the sequencing is not guest estimate you know people come with clever modeling sometimes. Nostradamus, you know 2000 will be the end of the world and they give a number because the computer will melt down uh, the third world war will come by that time and people have clever modeling behind that at the end of the day I mean little but Jesus Christ said this to his disciple and he says that by the time that you see these things remember the things I've spoken to you And so we have the assurance that we can trust him. And I think that's the fundamental thing. And I want to stop there because I don't know what you believe in God for. What is it that you believe God for that the enemy is telling you is not possible? The enemy is telling you there is no way in a million chance that you can actually get there. That you can actually live a successful Christian victorious life. What is it that you are listening to? That tells you otherwise that what God has said is shown to his disciples that he will do it. And it's exactly what has happened. And so that's one of the first lessons. Now, Jesus says also that he's going to go and prepare a place for us. So, one of the assurances that we do have is that Jesus, as he is resurrected, is interceding for us. You think your Lord is too hard? Remember the priest of priests, the Holy One of Israel, who is interceding for you day and night. He does not stop interceding, which means, A, that he knows your situation, enough to intercede about the situation. And B, that there is breakthrough, because he can do all things. You can even add a C which means that you have the response to your petition as you pray in faith, because God is backing that up. So it gives us a complete, or should give us a complete perspective of the God that we are celebrating today. He is alive. He can be trusted. He has good plans for me, and he will come back to Bring me with him to the Father. Now, this is the essence of life. Because we are all running our race of life. And Jesus said, behold, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where I go, you cannot be. But I'm preparing that place so you will be there with me, with the Father. And it is very important because, you know, we go through life, highs and lows, up and downs. We fall, we stumble, we roll over, and we continue, and we run, and we continue. There is a time where the master will be there on that day. I don't know what that day is, but on that day, we will meet him face to face. On that day, Jesus will be at the end of the road. He will be there with open arms. He will be there to tell you, welcome, you good and faithful servant." He will be them cheering you up as you cross over. But guess what? He's cheering you up today. Is cheering you up on the way. And whether you feel your legs are giving up, whether you feel you have no strength, whether you feel that it's too hard for you. You know what? The nails that enter into Jesus' hands, they were just not fun. He had suffered a lot of hard things for you. So please take heart. Jesus said, Take heart. I have overcome those things. Take heart. Because of what I've done, I've gone ahead of you. And this is one of the messages of the resurrection, that you could look here in expectation of the goodness of God. Jerry said before, not only in the time to come, but even now. Take heart and rejoice. Live your life to the glory of God. Remember that he has accomplished those works for you and for me. Remember that his blood is more powerful and speak a better thing than anything else that you can have. Anything else that you can see. Anything, any, any other narrative that is given on the, the channels, you are victorious because of the victory of Christ Jesus. Walk like it. Believe like one. Trust God. Get closer to God. Which is the next thing? You know, he say to those who have believed him, he gave them the right, the divine right, The right that is sealed in heaven to be the children of God. What does that mean for you in practice? It means you've already got what you need to have a better relationship with him. It means that that relationship is there. It cannot be taken away. You can try and run away, but God's love is so powerful that his grace will continue to be sufficient. He will continue to seek you. He will continue to love you. But he will want you. Come, he will want you to embrace him, he will want you to trust him, he will want you to appreciate who he is, he will want you to look unto him as the author and finisher of your faith, he will want you to accept him as everything in your life, he will want you to do away with sin. Sin leads to death, he has conquered death, he has not conquered it so that you can continue to sin. He has not conquered death so that you can continue to look down on yourself and to be beaten up by the enemy. He has conquered sin so that you could live life and live it in abundance. This is not meant keeping for yourself. This is not meant walking and living like if nothing is happening good in your life. Nothing good is happening, sorry. Because it is. Because the Bible says that He is mindful of us. Jesus Christ is our advocate. First John 21, 2, 1, sorry. He said that if anyone sins, because remember why we are talking about sin now. We're talking about sin because Jesus Christ conquered that. He did away with sin. The sin of Adam and Eve, he did away with that once and for all. If anyone sins, say we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ your righteousness I want to encourage you today to remember not only the event but to remember now the call to action there is a call to action to anyone who believes in Christ Jesus ask Jesus to stay with you He's already with us. He's not a different theology. Yes, he's deposited his Holy Spirit and definitely he's with us for those who have accepted him. But when I say ask Jesus to be with you, to stay with you, it's more like the other way around. Do everything you can. Do not let anything come between you and Jesus Christ. Invite him in your life. Invite him in your decisions invite him in your circumstances keep close to his word it's the word that is given us to live life in abundance keep it close to your heart let the Holy Spirit do out of this word as he wills let it lead you where he needs to lead you trust him trust him the message of the resurrection is about believe three to four times. is challenging those who have followed him to believe. He said, Do not, church, do not be unbelieving, but believe. Blessed are you if you believe. Believe in the plans of the Father for you. Believe in me as the resurrection and the life believe in me who opens the door that cannot be opened and closed all that should not be open believe in me because as you believe you will see greater things as you believe you will see the glory of God in your life as you believe you will reassuringly know that no weapon of the enemy Fashion against you, even death can succeed, even death, because Christ has conquered death. Amen. Because Christ has died for you and for me. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given from him from heaven. Allow God to increase and you decrease. Allow God, allow Jesus to be lifted up in your life and humble yourself. Allow your worship to be a worship of the God who has called you to be a worshiper. You see, God is looking as such those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship to God in the beauty of holiness. Exalt his name forever and ever and ever. Sing a new song unto him, to the God of our salvation. For he is beautiful. For he is awesome. For he is mighty and powerful. He's just able to bring you back and to show you great and things that you do not know. That you've never seen, that you've never tasted, that you've never trusted him enough to grab hold of it. And I will close with this. Can I have the team, please? There's a small story again in the book of John, and we know this story about Jesus at the well being thirsty, and he meets in that woman. And he says, Give me water. He's the, the source of living water. But he, he said, Give me water. And he says that. And the woman says, Why are you asking that? You are a Jew. Why are you asking us, Samaritans? You should not come even to me and discuss that. And so at the end of the day, Jesus has a discussion with her, and ultimately realized she thinks he is a prophet. then she moves away to tell the people in her village, come and see. Come and see. I know, I've seen, I've heard, I've listened to, I've discussed with a man who has told me everything about my life. He knew me. He knew who I was. Come and hear. And there's something that is quite interesting there. What is interesting is that she goes back, Mary Magdalene goes back and says, Peter, that the tomb is open. They've taken him. But the Samaritan woman goes back. But she tells a different story. She says, come, come, come. I've seen somebody who's told me everything about me. And when they come, because of Jesus, because their understanding of who he is, they ask him to stay with us a little longer. Jesus stays with them and they believe. Jesus will stay with you and you will believe that the plans that he has for you, that the things that he has for those who believe are things we cannot fathom. He will tell you of a storyline for your life that you've never heard about. He will show you of things and lands to be conquered for his goodness, for For his kingdom. For his purpose. Ministries to be formed. People to be reached out to. Investment even to be made. Into his kingdom. It will lead you. To greater. Depths of knowledge of him. But you need to respond. Because after the resurrection Sunday. You do not respond. You are almost saying. He did this for nothing. You did it for nothing. And Christ did everything for you. You are not nothing. Amen? Why don't we stand up? Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church,